This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. U.S. looks to Aurora for Exascale. And Oracle boots up GPU Cloud. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman. And Michael, this week in HPC, we're reporting on something that actually had happened last week, the DOE ASCAC meeting, where they talked about Exascale, among other things. And looking at some of the presentation materials from that meeting, it starts looking like we've got a pretty good eye at what the plan is for the first U.S. Exascale system. Maybe? Yeah, I think this is it. I mean, they've Basically, uh, they had a couple slides in that presentation at the meeting that were made public, and from from that, uh, those few slides, it looks like the Aurora supercomputer, which was planned to deploy next year as a pre-exascale system, has been, that contract has been modified or shifted in some way. That will now be the first exascale system, it looks like, for 2021, so instead of getting 180 petaflop system next year, they're basically going to get 1,000 petaflops. Uh, three years hence. Right. Now, this has a lot of pieces to it then. Let's start with the fact that Aurora was one of the coral systems, one of the three coral systems. Of course, two were awarded to IBM and its consortium of partners, including Mellanox and NVIDIA. But the system going to Argonne National Labs out of coral uh, was the Intel-based architecture. And that, what we were looking forward to, 180 petaflops, uh, coming in 2018 to be delivered to Argonne National Labs. And Coral was supposed to do two architectures for three sites, and then these would be our, our pre-exascale systems. Now, we're not going to do that 180 petaflop step, right? We're, we're, we're scotching that, and then we're going to roll that forward. But instead of having that be one of the three coral systems, it should be the first exascale system still going to Argonne, but now at an exascale level. So we're we're skipping the training and we're going directly to the main event. Right, but I don't think this is by design. I mean, the, the whole idea of having two different architectures for pre-exascale was to start build start building parallel ecosystems and to have an idea of, of the capabilities of rather different architects. Remember the the IBM NVIDIA systems are basically heterogeneous systems with power nine and and NVIDIA voltage GPUs, whereas the um, the Aurora system was going to be based on Knights Hill, which was a, a standalone Xeon Phi processor, many core processor that that did the equivalent, uh, again with different interconnects and all sorts of things, that OmniPath and all that sort of thing. So these were different architectures by a, by a wide margin. The idea was to evaluate these. Uh, in this sort of pre-exascale era over a few years. And then when it came time to award the exascale systems, they would have a better idea of, of where they were going with both of those. So this this implies that something went wrong with the, the R&D that had to do with uh, either Intel on the Intel side or the Cray side. Remember, this is basically going to be a Cray, was going to be a Cray system with Intel parts. Um the speculation is something went wrong with Knights Hill that delayed it too far, and that's why they, they sort of reconnoitered and decided just to wait and do uh, an exascale system probably with, with a whole different set of uh, components. 
Yeah, there's a couple of things to what you say there. And I agree with you, first of all, that this can't have been by design because everything that they told us about the Coral Initiative was that, you know, we're not going to do just a one-off to get to Exascale. We've got to build the whole ecosystem around these parts, around these architectures. We've got to get the software work going. So the idea that we're going to skip a pre-Exascale system and go directly to the Exascale system, I get that it's you know, an Intel Cray system and, and these parts are going to be in other things. But you know, I kind of liked the step function of let's do it at 100 petaflops before we do it at an exaflop uh, because this is, is just going to be such a huge jump. Now, where I disagree with you is that this is a fundamentally different architecture than what we're looking at with heterogeneous computing on the other side because, okay, it's on chip, but we're still talking about a similar transition to multi-core you know, Intel's products here were essentially a, a response to GPU computing and, you know, going all the way back to when Intel was looking at its own GPUs. Then you had the Intel mic architecture where it was going to be a separate coprocessor. And by the time it came to market as Xeon Phi, going to be offered as either a coprocessor or as a standalone. Of course, Intel has the wherewithal to make it a, a standalone. So there's differences in implementation and that can be a host processor, but you're still going to a parallel uh, uh, many core chip as the foundation for the architecture. So it's different. I don't think it's radically different uh, when you look at the different architectures. Right. I don't, I, I would agree with that. I don't think it's radically different. They're both many core, many core um, platforms to, to that degree, and they, and they both rely on these big, uh, basically what what amount to commodity vector processors. But the software ecosystems around those two architectures are going to be different. I'm not sure there's going to be much commonality between them. Now, hopefully, on the application side, that can be um, that can be abstracted away. And I think that one of the ideas in having these two systems in the field was people are going to be able to work. On libraries and all the all the underlying software part of the stack to to make the applications work on on either type of system, sort of this monolithic many core system and then this heterogeneous uh, one. But yeah, I I think it's in a way it's unfortunate that it, it sort of came to this in this way. But we have to remember that you know these these roles high risk. Uh, projects in a way and i think intel was uh you know probably had different things going on with it i know one thing that uh, actually i mentioned in the article that i wrote up this week was their 10 nanometer technology their process technology is behind schedule they're just going to be able to start uh producing the first chips with that technology sometime next year and the whole idea was to have the knight's hill chips actually be in production by next year as well so uh, that's one of the problems that, that might have occurred. And there might just be problems with Night Hill itself that got delayed uh, or, or one of the other parts of the technologies that were going into that. Remember, that's just the processor part. Um, but I, I, I think what will come out of this is that, you know, they'll have this longer lead time with this basically two-year program put in place. Looks like they're going to start the non-recurring engineering contract early in 2018. They'll have a two-year lead time to get the a two and a half year lead time to get that the R and D out and have the system ready in 2021, and we're assuming now it it won't be Knights Hill that that'll be the previous generation. They're going to have some other 
Xeon Phi, presumably, or some other chip like that to, to power the 2021 system. One other thing that you said that went by pretty quickly that I wanted to comment on or, or discuss at some level, you said, well, remember, it's a Cray system that has Intel parts. I'm not sure to what extent that's true here. I mean, Intel is the prime on this. You know, Cray is going to fulfill it as the subcontractor, but there are ways of looking at this, that this is an Intel system with Cray parts around the outside of the Intel architecture. What do you think? Well, I guess it depends on your perspective, but I think the the original idea was to have a Cray, what they called their Shasta supercomputer, the one they've been working on for a while. So it'll uh, presumably it'll have whatever that interconnect was going to be, and all the all the infrastructure that goes around a system. Um, you know, it was always a little odd to me to have Intel be prime on this. I mean, I sort of get the idea here that they were they were driving this, but it'll be a It'll be a Cray system, and I think Cray had the idea that they will sell these systems commercially, and they would be getting that money, not not Intel, when they sell it to, to, to other people besides the DOE. Yeah, well, it's it's. I, I have a feeling this story is not yet completely fully written. There are more developments to come, but uh, keen eye, Michael, in pulling out uh, that slide and that description from the ASC the ASCAC meeting and. Uh, We'll keep uh, watching it. Also this week in HPC, another interesting story. We haven't talked about Oracle in a long time, but all of a sudden they're going to have a GPU cloud from Oracle? Yeah, they've got, of course, they have their own public cloud that they have for their, their customer base, enterprise customers. And for the first time, it looks like they're going to actually bring in NVIDIA GPUs into that cloud, in this case the P100s, and then eventually the uh, the V100s, the newer ones. Um and offer those as essentially a way for their enterprise customers to get access to uh, deep learning capability. I mean, this, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum in, in different ways. Basically, every large public cloud has these uh, GPU accelerators in them so that users can come in and do this sort of uh, deep learning, especially the training side, which is very compute intensive. And Oracle decided it it couldn't miss this opportunity. It has enterprise customers just like IBM, just like Microsoft, just like even really like Amazon and Google do. And they needed to have this offering or these customers were to start migrating to other clouds to to get their their machine learning codes uh, executed. Yeah, for me, what this points to is the incidence of of GPUs for machine learning, deep learning in, in enterprise applications, enterprise business applications. We look at, you know, SAP HANA with Leonardo. That's moving into the AI area now. We're going to see this across Oracle and a lot of other different enterprise tools. And to the extent that they have deep learning modules, now your enterprise cloud needs to have uh, this this accelerated capability in it, which has been predominantly GPUs thus far. It doesn't have to be in the future necessarily, but GPUs have a big, strong lead in the time being uh, in these deep learning capabilities. So to me, this is not an HPC cloud. To me, this is a deep learning cloud for enterprise applications. Something they have in common is that both enterprise and AI have shown a high degree of affinity toward cloud environments. And this is where they're going to overlap in a way that we have not seen traditional HPC usage really migrate heavily toward cloud. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you there. I mean, this they've actually talked a little bit about HPC workloads as well that, that they're offering there. But considering 
Oracle's customer base and their position in the market, it's doubtful whether they would attract too many traditional HPC customers like physics simulations codes into this into this cloud. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of other places to get that done with with uh, even in the cloud with people that have more expertise and background in that area. But it is available there, and they might get some 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 edge uh, customers coming in there. But yeah, basically this is a machine learning play and it's to satisfy customers and to attract other customers that want to infuse AI into their into their enterprise databases in one way or another. Yeah, for the broad HPC market, I doubt it. I, to talk about HPC workloads there is, is almost just a sound bite. The, the exception to that would be if you have an Oracle Enterprise customer who's somebody who also does HPC workloads because right. it's a large bank or a large manufacturer and they're running their deep learning in Oracle Cloud and have a contract for that uh, in, the, uh, in the corner case where those organizations are now moving some HPC workloads to cloud, uh, sure, maybe they'll run it in Oracle Cloud there. But we haven't seen that happening much prior to GPUs. And now you're talking about the intersection of GPU-accelerated HPC applications in Oracle Cloud. I'm not saying it'll never happen, but it's not going to be enough that we're going to call it out as a separate line in our in our forecast. This is something that fits well comfortably into the other bucket. Yeah, and I think that the real takeaway here is that that uh, it's good news for Nvidia, obviously, and and the idea that uh, that you basically alluded to before that this technology and this application set has gone mainstream in in so many ways, and it's in a, in a way unrelated to traditional HPC. It's just infusing all the all the bigger bigger cloud platforms as enterprise customers sort of catch on to the fact that they can use this capability now to to up-level all their applications. Right. This is another affirmation uh, that a year and a half ago when we were setting up our hyperscale methodology that we looked at AI and deep learning as predominantly part of the hyperscale market, not so much part of the traditional HPC market for now. This is another example of why that fits better there. Not that there isn't any overlap between AI and traditional HPC. There is. But in terms of where the actual money and workloads are, the vast majority of them are in this enterprise uh, hyperscale kind of sector. And uh, and here's Oracle getting into the ball game, um, uh, predominantly to fulfill their existing uh, enterprise types of contracts as AI starts to become an enterprise kind of workload. Yep. Well, thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. Another good couple of stories. Our listeners can read more about them in detail on top500.org. I appreciate it, Michael. Thanks a lot, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.